The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Speaking of His Word, open in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Peter. Jacob assigned me this text. You're in a series. Um, is it entitled Everyday Church? There we go. Everyday Church, and um, I'm going to be reading from... 1 Peter, beginning in chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 9. And I'm going to be reading through the end of the chapter, beginning in chapter 3, all the way into verse 16, 17, excuse me. So let me pray, for this is God's word. Let's invite the Spirit to speak through it to us as we read it. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you draw near to us through your word. Thank you by your spirit, Lord. Your word is life to your people, and it is, it is given to us as an expression of your love, and it comes to us able to accomplish the purposes for which you have sent it. So I pray tonight you would use Uh, my words, and more importantly, your word, to shape our lives and to shape our mission together at King's Cross for your glory, uh, for our good, uh, and for the eternal praise of Jesus, our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Peter, chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation." Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. 
For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Chapter 3. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For, and now Peter quotes Psalm 34, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, Those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. May God bless his word in our hearts and at King's Cross Church tonight. Let me begin by telling a story. It's a true story of a member of our church, uh, not unlike... King's Cross. He lives in the city. And on this particular evening, not unlike you, he was putting out his trash for the evening in one of those large containers that the city provided. 
he went inside to have his dinner with his family, as was his custom. And after dinner, read his children some nighttime stories, put them to bed, enjoyed an evening with his wife, and got up the next morning to go to work only to discover that someone had pulled his trash in. Their trash was out front, but his trash can had been pulled in from the curb and actually placed where the garbage truck wouldn't see it. Thought that was odd, didn't think much of it, put his trash back out and went to work. The next week came, similar to you, he put his trash out, had his dinner, went inside, kissed his children, good bed, went to bed for the evening, came out the next morning and someone had pulled his trash in again so that the garbage truck wouldn't see it. And this went on repeatedly for two months. One day, he stayed home from work on trash day because he was sick. He put his trash out early and he watched to see who the trash person was. It was his neighbor. Now, what you need to know about Edward is Edward is an immigrant. He's a minority in a primarily white city that has a history of racial clashes with his particular minority group. Secondly, although Edward is now a naturalized citizen, his primary language is not English. And so if you were to listen to his family, you would hear that they're speaking in their native tongue, even though his children go to public school and he's learning And thirdly, what you would observe about Edward is not only is he racially different and he speaks another language, then you would notice that Edward, every Sunday with his family, because of the way they dress, they dress a little more formal than King's Cross and Crossway, goes to church. What you wouldn't have observed, but his wife did, is that Edward was furious at his neighbor. This is a true story about a man who's simply putting out his trash that happens to be a Christian. And so he went to his wife, Lillian, and he said, Lillian, our neighbor is the one who's been pulling our trash in. I am going to go to him and confront him and tell him to stop it. His neighbor is white. His neighbor is educated. I don't know if he's affluent, but he has a higher income level than Edward. He dresses as a professional. And Edward was suspicious that there was more going on here than just moving his trash. Lillian said, without missing a beat, Edward, my dear husband, in their native tongue, did God have us move to this city from our native country and place us on this block in this city with this neighbor to have you go to him and anger and confront him about our trash. That's what she said. I think you need to pray before you go to him. And Edward did what I find hard for me to do when I'm angry. Edward listened to God by listening to his wife first. And he prayed, and the Lord spoke to him and convicted him of his anger So that then when he went to his neighbor, he didn't go in anger, he did go in concern, and he said to his neighbor, which whose name I don't remember, 
but we'll call him Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones, I noticed that you have been putting my trash after I put it out back around the side of the house where the garbage truck can't see it. Why are you doing that? No sense of anger. Actually, there was actually joy because Edward was going to him, not primarily now to tell him about his trash, though we did want to find out what was, but to tell him that he loved him and he loved him because Jesus loved him too. The man's response when Edward told him that he loved him and that Jesus loved him too and that he wasn't angry but he was concerned, his jaw dropped. Do you know why? Do you know what the man does for a living? Do you know why Edward's trash became the point in that neighborhood where the kingdom of God was breaking in? He's a radio host. And you hear his radio show in Providence every day. And he was telling his audience that he didn't believe that a Christian acts any different than anyone else. And that all you had to do was mess with their trash. And they would be as angry and as rude and as indignant and as vengeful as those who don't go to church. He told his listeners that for six weeks. Because that's how many weeks he'd been messing with his trash. So when Edward came to him and loved him through the spirit that indwelled him that brings glory to Jesus. And yes, asked him to stop putting his trash away, but told him then that Jesus loves him too and proceeded to share the gospel. The guy did not fall down and say, what must I do to be saved? But he did say, you're not gonna believe this. I've been telling my listeners for six weeks that people like you who go to church are hypocrites and are no different than anyone else. Now I'm going to tell them that at least in your case, you actually live the way you're supposed to live. There's two points I take from that passage. The first is this, is that in God's world, even the most ordinary activities that we're a part of, putting out our trash, driving our car, holding a door, cleaning up a spill, saying thank you and making eye contact with the person at the counter can be the tipping point for the kingdom of God to break in in ways we... But the second point is this. Edward, by God's grace, feared God and therefore, through the encouragement of his wife, blessed those who were persecuting him. And that's the point of the whole passage that we read, long as it was. Fear God, bless others, particularly those who persecute you. Let's look at the passage together and see if you agree. Peter, like a good coach, if I can use that analogy, 
is coaching these, these young believers, these men and women who he describes in chapter 1, verse 1, as exiles throughout the Asia Minor world. He's coaching them, beginning in those first verses we read with some, with some, with some firm and exhortational instructions. Look again at verse 11. Beloved, verse 11, excuse me. I urge you, do you hear Peter's passion? Like a football coach who's encouraging his team after a difficult home game loss last Sunday to play hard against the Cleveland Browns. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is Peter's strategy for exalting Jesus in everyday mission. This is Peter's strategy for bringing glory to Christ in their lives and our lives through everyday mission. Live such good lives in Christ that people glorify God. So for what it's worth, I see the structure like this, and I'm grateful both to Tim Chester, whose book uh, Jacob referenced, Everyday Church, which is a wonderful read, and also two commentators, David Helm and Edward Clowney, for their help this week as I looked at this. The structure looks like this. Peter gives a threefold exhortation to submission as the mark of living honorable lives for the glory of God. He does that beginning in verse 11 through verse 7 of chapter 3. In the middle of that exhortation, he reminds them, he actually gives us instructions beginning in verse 21 of chapter 2 through 25 to follow in the example Christ has given us, particularly when suffering hostility for doing what is right. And then he concludes his passage, not with exhortation, but with encouragement, because he knows submission to God's mission strategy by living for Christ's glory is hard. He he concludes the section with encouragement by reminding them of our reward. If we are Faithful. So I don't know how much time I'll have to get through all this, but I want you to ask this question as you consider our mission as those who are called to live good lives, lives in Christ that people would glorify God. What is the connection in your life? What is the connection in my life? And what is the connection in King's Cross life as a, as a body within this community? What is the connection you see between who we are as people and our ordinary lives? Who we are as Christians 
and our ordinary lives. In other words, not to put too fine, does being a Christian make a difference when someone's messing with your trash can? Whether it's your trash can or not. Maybe it could be your car. Maybe it could be your phone. Maybe it could be your job performance. Maybe it could be fill in the blank. And then secondly, another question that I thought about is what are the good works we are called to do in this passage? I think, I think that question brings us to some shocking conclusions. What are the good works we're called to do? And then how do we do them? How do we do that as we love God and love our neighbors too? All right, let's look at the passage. If you're looking for a heading or a header, I think verses 11 and 12 provide it for us. These two verses function really as the, as the doorway to, I think, the remainder of the letter. And they form Peter's exhortation to to us as believers to live good and honorable lives for Christ's sake. Now, there isn't time to go into the particular details, but if we just look at those two verses and then see how they map on to what follows, Peter is urging these, these men and women in Christ to not only abstain from the passions of the flesh, which he's talked about already in the letter, which wage war against our soul, but to keep our conduct among the non-Jewish, the, the Gentiles, honorable through our good deeds so that when they speak against us, they will glorify God as well. And so following that heading, Peter takes us into our relationship as believers with, with governing authorities, verses 13 through 17, our employment, our, our employers versus 18 through 25, and even into our marriages. But in light of time, I don't want to go into the particulars. I just want you to look at two words found in those two verses, verses 11 and 12. If you can highlight them or circle them or make notes of them, I think they, they really give keys that unlock everything that follows. The first word is the word abstain found in verse 11. Do you see that? Beloved, I urge you, to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And then verse 12, the, the verb to keep. And so as a community at King's Cross Church, as a community at Crossway Church, and as individuals who make that of community, we are to both refrain from some things while at the same time giving ourselves to others. In other words, we are to abstain from what is stated negatively in this passage, and we are to give ourselves to what is stated positively in this passage. So in the, in the verses that follow, what are we to abstain from? Well, we are to abstain from responding with hostility in those relationships we have with government, with employers, our work, or maybe school, or in marriage, when we experience hostility or bad attitudes because of our Christianity. That's what we're to abstain from. And what are we to, what are we to keep doing? Well, instead, 
we are to respond to those who are hostile with us by blessing them with, with good deeds, with good works, with, with a life that, that gives off the aroma of Christ. That's what Peter is doing in this long passage about our relationships to governing authorities, about servants honoring their employers or masters, and about a, a wife, and this is, this is, again, Jacob can go into the, about a wife who's married, if we look carefully at the passage, to a non-believer, and the non-believing husband is acting in ways hostile to her because she's now a Christian. How is she to respond? How are we to respond as Christians in a workplace where maybe our job performance or our reception by others can be met with hostility? How are we to respond when governing authorities require us to do things we don't want to do? Or, well, Peter says one of the ways to respond is not with hostility, but we're to respond the way Christ did. And how did he respond to those who were hostile against him? He did good to them. He blessed them. Wow, that's radical. Living good lives that people would glorify God. What's the portal into that? When all people speak well of us, no. The portal into living good lives that people glorify is when people are actually opposed to us because we're loving Jesus together. What does it mean to be on mission in God's sense? It's not attractional events, though I thank God for attractional events. It's how I first heard the gospel. I was brought to an attractional event. It's not through offering programs, though there are programs that we can offer that will serve, but it's not through offering programs. It's not through services that the community says, man, King's Cross, you are millennial, or whatever they would say. This is what Peter says. And I don't think he's dissing the one, but it's so countercultural to how we think today. He's saying God's people in a culture that is hostile to them. This is how we love Jesus together and get on mission. We bless those who are persecuting us. Wow. That's radical. That is what Edward did. That's where the kingdom of God breaks in into the most surprising places. And that's what it means to abstain from the passions of the flesh in this passage. It's not to treat people as they treat us. Is a Muslim woman who... She, her husband and her are both working professionals. They're, they're fluent, upper-middle-class suburbanites in a community near us. Um, but she shops at Market Basket when it's not crowded. Kind of like the, the woman at the well sh- shows up to get the water in the afternoon when the ladies from the bridge club aren't going to be there. And so there she is, as is her custom, shopping at a non-busy, you know, those hours, men and women, where you can go to, you know, it's where we want to go. You know, we don't want to be there, like, Sunday morning, it's slammed with people, or Friday night, it's like middle of the day on Tuesday. 
you know, between shifts. And there she is, and she's always there. She takes time off from work, and she's shopping. And, and as it so happens, uh, a woman in our church uh, who happened to be there that day, she had to run an errand and get some, she saw her. And the news that day was horrible. Another bombing, another bombing involving Muslims in this case. Another bombing involving Muslims in this country where Americans are getting hurt or killed. And whereas this woman in our church who is not an extrovert, you know, she would not stand up in front of a group and talk to you. And she, she isn't an evangelist. You know, she's not, you know, whatever you conceive that to be. She saw, I'm going to get, start to cry. She prayed for her in light of how bad the news was that day. And she had this thought. I think this is the Holy Spirit, right? When you have this thought and you're shopping for, you know, cereal and you have this thought, I'm going to go up to her and ask her a question. Are you afraid? Are you afraid? So she walked up and she said, are you afraid? And who was like standing over the, the meat counter or whatever, looked at this woman, I'll change her name, let's say her name's Janice, she looked at Janice and said, I am afraid. Why do you ask? And Janice said to me, well, I just wanted you to know, um, I'm afraid too. And if you want to talk about it, I'd be glad to talk about it, but I'm a stranger. I'm just going to pray for you. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm just going to pray for you. And maybe I'll see you in here again. And was, well, they just continued to talk. You know, the meat got picked up, and they just kind of walked their way to the counter. And by the end of the conversation, who is just slack-jawed over this conversation, has now a Christian woman who is, like, stuck to her hip, literally walking her out to the car. And by the time she gets the car, she said, can my husband meet you? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not a Muslim. I'm a Christian. I just want you to know. You don't need to be afraid of me in this community, and I'm praying for you. He's got to meet you. I want you to come to our home. And then she found out she's a teacher who tutors math, and they have a son who needs math help because he's failing at the local high school. And wow, imagine that. The Spirit of God energizing his people to reach out to the group of people in our culture that are completely alienated and isolated from most people in the church today, let alone the community. That's what I think Peter's talking about, except in the example I just read, it's the opposite. The person experiencing hostility is someone who's alienated from God, and the spirit who is creating people in Jesus' image who bless those who are in suffering hostility is creating now a heart that says, I know what it is to identify with someone who experiences hostility and can show compassion and courage and faith. When Peter says to us to fear God as he does in verse 17, and then he tells us at the, at the bookend conclusion of our passage to, if I can find the verse, to bless those I need my notes. 
and to be a blessing. There it is. Verse nine, look at me. Do not repay evil. Look at uh, the passage. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Those precise words, fear God, that I read earlier, and now bless, that you may obtain a blessing. He's talking about how we as Christians set apart Christ as Lord, verse 15, and give a reason for the hope that we have. How do we do that? We fear God, and therefore we do not respond in inappropriate ways to those being hostile towards us, and we bless or we become a blessing to others, particularly those who are hostile towards us, because through our actions... Christ and his presence is made manifest to them. I believe that's fundamental and part and parcel of what it means to be on everyday mission, in everyday ways, for the glory of God in the lives of others. If you have time later tonight or tomorrow, I'd encourage you to read Psalm 34. Uh, in its entirety, because it's a psalm written by David when he, being God's anointed, was persecuted first by Saul, the king, and then later by the Philistines. And yet in both situations, as we look in 1 Samuel 24 and 26, particularly with Saul, we see that he did not He did not retaliate against Saul, even due to his unjust hostility, but instead he protected and preserved the life of Saul, even it was in David's hands to kill him. He's a picture, he's a poster, he's an illustration, ultimately of Christ. He prefigures Christ, who though unjustly suffering for our sins and the forgiveness that he would purchase through his atoning death on the cross, He loved his persecutors, and he loved us too, in order to be, in that ultimate sense, a blessing. So as we conclude, I want to conclude with Peter's encouragement. As we consider our mission together, and we consider ways in which we can live for Christ's glory before the lives of others. Look at how Peter concludes the passage and what we read. He speaks of fear and blessing. But then he says in verse 16 that the result of our obedience, chapter 3, verse 16, when we are slandered, the result of our obedience when those who revile our good behavior in Christ will not only be vindicated when he puts to shame Christ's enemies. But what's implied here, what's, what seems to be inferred here, is that on the day of visitation, our obedience will result in God's blessing, God's perfect blessing 
upon us. Verse 17, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. So let me conclude by asking you these questions again. We, we, are, we, we are called to reach a hostile world by living good lives in the context of ordinary life. And the demanding work of mission is marked out by our good conduct in those relationships with others. In this case, our relationships with earthly kingdoms, servants of worldly masters, in marriage and towards fellow believers. What is the connection God is making for you tonight between who we are to be as Christ's people and how we are to live everyday life? What are the good works we are called to do, particularly for those who we feel are opposed to us? How do we do it? How do we do it? And how can we together in doing it love Jesus together? Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for your word and we're thankful, Jesus, for the gospel and the message of your cross and resurrection which reminds us each and every day that we who were once your enemies, Lord, were blessed by you in your atoning death and glorious vindication through resurrection and ascension. So that on this night at King's Cross Church, you can address us as dear friends, as beloved, as children of God in Christ. But Lord, that status, that identity is never passive. It brings with it a call. It brings with it a claim to bless those, to bless even those in our lives who mess with our trash, who threaten our reputations, who offend our our sense and sensibilities who, like us, tonight, Lord, we who have been redeemed, need a redeemer. So I pray by your spirit and through the power of your word, you would help us to not only be hearers, but be doers on that tomorrow, Sunday, that day of the week, that second Saturday for many of our neighbors. May we be a blessing to our neighbors and community as we fear God and love Christ together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.